we are going to turn our attention in this space uh, and have fun as well as we uh, dig into uh, God's Word according to uh, James chapter 3. Uh, as we've been uh, over the course of Lent in James, uh, beginning in chapter 1, we find ourselves in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. If not, the words will be on the screen, and together uh, we hear the word of the Lord. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check. And when we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder whenever the pilot, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great uh, forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the, uh, the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, and reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise the Lord, our Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same, same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is God's word offered to us. In its reading and in its hearing together, we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Uh, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, what a gift we have from your word this day. A word of truth, a word of conviction, a word of invitation. So we ask, O oh Lord, that you, would, that, that you would move in this space and time and that you would, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, do a fresh and new work in us. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, our minds that we come to know and understand your word. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. And then I pray, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we just returned from our student ministries ski trip this week. It was Awesome. What a great trip. Thank you for your prayers, your prayers for travel protection, your prayers over the students uh, on the mountains, your prayers for the adults on the mountains. Uh, it, was, it was a beautiful week. And the students uh, fo focused and aimed their attention at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and how to grow as a disciple. And so I, I celebrate all that God did in our midst this week. Uh, on Friday morning, uh, we, we packed up and uh, we got the whole house cleaned up. And at 6.20 in the morning, 6.20 in the morning on Friday morning in Winter Park, Colorado, we left. We pulled out. And I uh, re, uh, 
refocused my attention at the very beginning of the drive on this scripture. Uh, the, this, the worship team, uh, the pastor team has been uh, working towards this for a while, but I wanted to re-aim it because I knew that I had 18 hours of driving in front of me. So with 18 hours of preparation, this should be the best sermon you've ever um, So I'm dwelling on this, this, this scripture, allowing it to marinate over me and um, wondering how in the heck am I going to preach what God is presenting to us in James chapter 3. And, uh, and I'm, I'm coming in and out of, of focusing on this and uh, listening to the chaos in the back. I have a 15-passenger van, and I have 13 students. Uh, no, not 13. I had uh, nine students. And How many did I have? 12 students in the back? 12 students in the back plus two in the front. Okay, all right, yeah. Sorry, math. Math is, you know, it's a struggle sometimes. So uh, I'm, I'm listening to their conversations. I'm focusing on the scripture, going back and forth. And uh, I'm also doing the thing where every three and a half hours we stop and we reset. And we're stopping at Love's and we're stopping at Pilot's because we're not in Texas yet. And at 1030 on Friday night, we arrive in Ennis, Texas, and we go to Bucky's. Right? Like, like, like we, we're pumped. We've arrived at Bucky's. We're back, baby. And we're all sorts of excited. And the kids go inside and, and people are grabbing pulled pork sandwiches and brisket sandwiches and beaver nuggets. And everybody's getting all their gear. And, and my daughter, Addison, uh, who's in my van, she, she goes and gets her special order burrito. You know, she goes to the kiosk at 1030 at night and she orders her burrito just how she likes it. And it is taking forever ever for them to make a freaking burrito. And I am losing my mind because we left at 6.20 in the morning and it is 10.30, 10.40 at night. And I, I'm just like, all right, so boom, they get the burrito. All right, let's check out. I'm rushing everybody, rushing, 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 and get in the van and I'm, I, I make my pulled pork sandwich. I put my barbecue sauce on it. I'm getting ready to take my first bite and Addie takes, uh, and Addie hears her mom. Her mom says, hey, can I have a bite of the burrito? I just want one. Addie's like, yeah, 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 sure. I'm going to take the first bite. And she bites into the burrito, and she groans, and they made her burrito wrong. <laughs> now, I know what this is going to be like. Like, she has been waiting for this treasured moment. She did not eat dinner at Love's or at Pilot. She was waiting for her burrito. So I snagged the burrito and I walk, I march. I march back into <laughs> Bucky's and I, I glare at the young lady totally inappropriately and say, this is wrong. And they correct it and I'm watching and it takes another 10 minutes to make a burrito. I get the burrito, we go back in the van, hand it to Addie. I take my first bite of, of my pulled pork sandwich before I pull out. And, and uh, Addie hands her burrito to her mom. And, and right as her mom is, is, is about to take her one single bite of burrito, Addie says, no, 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 I've changed my mind. And viscerally, the depths of hell... <laughs> raise up from the bowels of my soul and come out and there was like a, a, a screeching satanic moment that 
that came out of my mouth as, as I, I was harsh and I was rude and I was ugly. And I'm sorry. Because from Ennis to the Woodlands, Texas, I wondered how am I qualified to preach James chapter 3? How do I have the audacity to stand in this space and preach about the taming of the tongue when it seems that this is so far from a lesson that I've learned? There's such great power in the tongue, in our words, in in just a few verses, we hear three different metaphors for the power of the tongue. It's, it's, it's both the bit in the mouth of a horse that will steer the horse where it will go. It is also the rudder of the ship that directs its path. And then finally, it's the spark that can set an entire forest ablaze. In each of these three metaphors, it is a small piece of the whole. Can you, I mean, think about what it takes to ride a horse. There's the saddle, there's the horse itself, uh, there's the reins, uh, there's the bit. It it seems so insignificant, but the bit is is what's going to to steer the whole, the rudder. You, You think of the ship, Think of the cruise lines you've been on or or you've seen the cruise ships and you think of all that is there, all that that the ship entails and it's all steered by a rudder. Think about a fire that warms or destroys that even can rage out of control that all starts with just a small spark. So wildfire in Texas uh, this week started from a spark of an ember from a charcoal fire. That's all it took. Just one little spark. That's what our tongue is. Our tongue, our words, uh, are, are this critical and yet small, seemingly insignificant, and yet powerful instrument. Our words have, have the, the power to, to direct, to shape, to form our entire lives. I mean, think about, think about moments in your life that your words have totally changed everything. It's really easy to do. Just start by thinking about an interview, an interview that you totally bombed, that your words were not with you, and you could not find the, the, the way to articulate exactly what you knew, and you bombed it. If you would have gotten that job, where would your life be? What would you be doing now? Or think about a job interview where, where, where you 
killed it. You totally crushed it. You left and you knew that, 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 that you were able to say exactly what you meant. And you knew that what you were saying was true and good. And from that moment on, it directed your path. Your future is shaped by your words. Think about how it impacts your relationships. Think about, think about a fight that you had with your spouse. And you know that one thing that you could say that will do the most harm to them because you know them that well. And that, that, that word, that thought, that, that, that comparison came into your mind. And think about that moment where you chose to not say it. And how your relationship was able to be restored and reconciled in entirety or more swiftly than it would have otherwise. And think about that moment where you said it. You just did it. You allowed your rage or your anger, your, your vitriol to just... And you thought it just felt good to say it. And then the entire broken shape and form of your relationship seemed to crumble. And maybe you were able to reconcile from that over the course of time. Maybe not. Our words have power. Our tongue, while it seems insignificant, is critical and it steers the entire ship. The course of our lives are largely determined by our words. We think about the power of words in Scripture, and, and, and you, you think about, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going through this four kind of moves over the meta narrative of Scripture, and we see the power of, of, of God moving through it. From the very beginning at creation, God creates with a word, He spoke it into existence. And then later in Genesis, as the people of God are moving further and further away from, from right relationship with God, they begin to, to, to idolize, to set up the idol of self over and above God. And they start building the Tower of Babel in order to establish their priority above God. And then what does God do? He uses their words, our words, against us by confusing our speech. He doesn't go in and, and have to destroy the tower. All he has to do is destroy our ability to communicate. And so he confuses the speech. And then... The, the, the move continues, and when Jesus is born, it says that Jesus is the Word made flesh. The, 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 the character of God's creative, saving capacity now made flesh in the form of Jesus. So God creates with the Word, God confuses with the Word, God saves with the Word, and, and then in, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we see the people of God, now after Jesus has been resurrected and ascended, they're gathered in Jerusalem. And now he doesn't want them to be confused from or by one another anymore. He doesn't want their speech to be a deterrent anymore. So what does he do? 
He clarifies their speech. So now that they're communicating with one another so they could fully understand each other, so that they could testify to the love of God, so that they could share the word of Jesus with the world. This Pentecost moment moves from confusion to clarification, and now the people are able to use their words for God's glory. Words matter. The way we speak matters, even though the tongue seems insignificant, it is indeed critical. Now this this scripture comes with a, a great many cautions and warnings about the poisons of the tongue and the evils of the tongue and, and, and the the impact on our destiny, even that the, the fires of hell flame from the tongue. But it also opens with the word of invitation in verse two. It says, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. If your words are perfect, the whole will be perfect. I think that that's a, a dynamic and powerful claim of Scripture. That if we get our words right, our actions will follow. I mean, think about it. Those of you that, that have run marathons before, you know the very first thing that you're coached to do when you sign up for a marathon is it's not train, it's not go for a run, it's not buy new, new sneakers, it's tell everyone. Tell everyone. You got to tell your mom. You got to tell your kids. You got to tell your spouse. You got to tell your friends. You got to tell your neighbor. You put it on social media. You do everything you can to tell everyone you can because if you say it, you'll do it. No backing out now. There's power in words. Anyone who is perfect in speech is perfect. Now, that seems worthy of our aim, but for me, that can initially become quite deflating because I know that the taming of the tongue is something I struggle with. This is one of the chief sins in my life, the ability to have a tongue that is tame. But I have a word of, of hope. It might not seem like it at first to some of you, but for me, this is quite hopeful in verse 8, we have uh, a word of truth for us. It says, no human being can tame the tongue. Well, it might have been assumed, right? Uh, we heard that, that you're perfect if the tongue is tamed, and we know that we're not perfect uh, and we know only Jesus was perfect, and so now we hear that no one can do it. But I, I, I don't hear no one can do it and think, well, then I'm not going to try. I hear no one can do it and say, oh, that's what, it, what it's like to grow in faith. That's what it's like to be sanctified. That's what it's like to walk 
with the Lord in life and, and, and grow in holiness of heart and life so that day by day, even when I struggle, even when I'm challenged, I know that I'm, while I'm not perfect, there is an aim for me to grow more and more into the likeness of my Lord Jesus Christ. And so there are some instructions for us, a couple of, a couple of invitations for us that, that, that help to orient how we can pursue this taming of the tongue faithfully and to lean into it more fully. The first actually comes not, not in what we read today, uh, but in chapter 1. You see, chapter 1, verse 19, James is setting up what he's going to do later in chapter 3 and, and orients for us uh, a lesson that, that can become helpful. In verse, in verse 19 of chapter 1, it says, Everyone, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You, you've heard the cliche, uh, we should listen twice as much as we talk because we have two ears and one mouth, right? To be quick to listen and slow to speak, that, that's a, a biblical principle. I mean, no one's ever really run the math on that because if they did, then we would be mute. We wouldn't talk to one another because we would always be waiting to listen, but that's neither here nor there. See, I did it. You were wondering, and you to be quick to listen. Not, not, not to listen in preparation for your response, but to listen to understand. That's a real struggle for me. All too often, when I'm listening, my mind is racing, preparing the response. This is even worse if there's, if there's some sort of debate because all I'm doing is preparing my, my comeback rather than actually listening for understanding to what is being offered to me. My father-in-law is a, is a, is a mentor for me in this. Uh, listen to understand, uh, being quick to listen, slow to speak. My father-in-law has a word count each day of about 100, I think. There's a clicker, and as, as soon as Ron hits it, it's over. But, but he's not aloof or disengaged. He is absolutely right there attentively with you. We know that Ron uses his tongue, uses his words in three ways. No more, no less. Silence, wisdom, and humor. That's all. So whenever Ron speaks, everyone like just leans in, right? Like you get on the edge of your seat because if Ron's going to say something, you know he's either going to drop an absolute bomb of wisdom or you're going to laugh uh, like deep kind of belly, good, joyful laugh, right? And, and, and so Ron, Ron is, is a mentor for me in this. What would it be for us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? I think the slow to anger part is connected in because the more angry we get, the less we will listen and the less and the more quickly we will speak. And so if we could discipline our anger, our, our tongue will walk alongside of it in lockstep. 
What is it for us to hear this invitation to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? The second invitation for us to walk this out more fully comes to us in in, in, uh, chapter 3, verse 9. It comes with this uh, with this articulation of truth. With the tongue, we both praise the Lord and we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Now, I, I want you to know that there's a whole nother sermon there for another day that we curse human beings that are made in God's likeness. I, I think what, what, what James is teaching us there very briefly is that whenever we curse someone, we're actually cursing God because, because we're not seeing the image of God in them. Rather, we're, we're imposing our own wrath on them. And so I, I think the invitation for us here is that we're both to praise God and to bless others. And when we bless others, we are then blessing God because each and every one have been made in God's own likeness. What would it be for us to become a people of blessing that use our tongues, that use our words to bless others. It, it would be like, it would be like uh, an inverse of this spark image. You know, whenever, whenever Scripture uh, describes this spark and it talks about the destruction of the fire, this is a, a, a firm transition. I also believe that that spark can lead to something good, to lead to something powerful as it did at Pentecost. I, I grew up in the late 80s and early 90s going to church camps. And one of the traditions of the church camp world in that era was at the very end, we would sing a very specific song, Pass It On. Have any of you ever sung or heard the song Pass It On? Not enough of you because some of you haven't, which means I I should sing it, but I'm not. So, (laughs) but but the, the words to pass it on, Say it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around warm up and it's glowing. That's how it is with God's love once you've experienced it. Then you spread his love to everyone. You want to pass it on. Let's use our words Use our tongues as a source of blessing so that the world might know God's love. And as the world experiences God's love, it will rage like a wildfire so that the world would be a place of love and blessing and peace. So here's your challenge this week. This week, I invite you to not only think about think before you speak, to not only pray before you speak, but I invite you to pray about your speech. Each morning, I want you to ask God, how can I bless someone with my words? And I invite each and every one of you this week to intentionally bless someone else with your words every 
single day. Can you imagine what that's going to look like? Look, I mean, look to your left. Do it. Look to your right. Each and every person here is going to bless someone intentionally with their words every day this week. God's love is going to be known through you. So we give God glory. Uh, would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, what a, what a gift it is to hear your word, to know its convicting power and uh, the invitation we have to, to, to orient our lives through the power of blessing and praise through our words. Lord, let us be encouragers. Let us, let us give you honor and glory through the way in which we treat others with our words. Lord, it seems like such a daunting task for our tongues to be tame. Lord, use our words for your glory. Help us to bless our neighbors. Lord, as we continue in worship and we enter into this time of offering, we, we ask that these gifts and each of the givers, uh, that, that, that all that takes place in this space and time would be for your glory, for your honor, for your praise. Lord, we ask you to bless this time of offering. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.